Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Woo! Faded Tales Edition. Yep. Faded <laughs> Side Story Part 4, Faded Revengeance. <laughs> wow, <you> okay. <laughs> Faded Revengeance. Revengeance. Weird. Who knows? Uh, I am back again with, uh, with our sort of crew remotely here from the Find the Path secret bunker underneath the Alps. Oh, God. <laughs> Man, I wish we had a secret bunker in the Alps. That sounds awesome. I don't even have a passport. How did I get here? Yeah, me too, Ross. <laughs> the rent is insane. So uh, thank you to our patrons. I guess uh, we had to smuggle in someone's <laughs> luggage. Little did you know that the conversion rate to uh, whatever the Swedish currency is, is very favorable to us right now. Oh, hey, cool. Yeah, turns out. We have a lot of Swiss gold. Uh, really? That's news to me. So when, uh, I suppose we'll get back into things. When last we had left our anti-heroes, our fated, our gang members, whatever you want to call them, protagonists. We'll go with protagonists. Yeah. That's a generic term. Our heroes had managed to defeat two Lamia, two Lamia sisters, layering inside of the the cenotaph of the cynic, where you had defeated the Lamia sisters, two of the Lamia sisters, as a third sister apparently had already left with her new pet. And by that, snake I mean sister. the asp. Yes. Snake sister took your snake buddy, the asp, mm. and slithered away with him off into the desert. So I know Lamia aren't really the basis for this, but is anybody getting like a you know, Gorgon sisters vibe thing from this. <laughs> yeah. Could be. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. After a brief interrogation, you had discovered that the asp had been taken to where it all began. What's the Viper seems to be. Castle. Snakelet. Snakelet. Yes. <laughs> I, I, no. Your snake's no in another snakelet. hole. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, no. He could have been Cobra. Uh, he could have been Cobra. But then I would have wanted to say Cobra, oh, like Cobra all the time. Yeah, then, then it would have been the parallels to Cobra Commander. It would have been very it obvious. It could have been Black Mamba. That's true. That just makes me think of Luke Cage. Well, all the snakes oh. make me think of Luke Cage. <laughs> Diamondback. Diamondback. Cottonmouth. That's also knows? Luke Cage. Yeah, Cottonmouth. Viper. Oh, we already have a Viper. We already have a Viper. Uh, Boa. Boa. Anyway... <laughs> Bo is his sister's name. <laughs> the party had discovered from these Lamia, however, that the Asp, the Viper's son, had been taken back to where it all started, of which the Viper revealed would be the Black Fane. Something mm-hmm. that went kind of dun-dun-dun for uh, all of our players and listeners, uh, but for none of the characters. Yeah, the characters. have no context for what the Black Fane is. Yep, just like, oh, okay, that seems like a thing in the desert. Yeah, I guess it's... Fainy. I'm going to yeah. read this journal. That's what I want to do. Read my mother's journals. They are, in fact, encoded. Okay, yeah. I don't remember if they were encoded or not. I've got a lot of journals going on in uh, Mummy's Mask. Uh, she provided you with the translation key, so you're actually just translating it. It's just uh, okay. time-consuming because she left you six journals. Ugh, rude. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out she wrote extensively. I want so. the TLDR. <laughs> Where's my summary, like, <laughs> sticky note? Yeah. All it says is black fane equal bad. No go there. <laughs> oh. oh, well. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I never do anything she says me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put this on the long list of things that I ignored that you told me. Yeah. Like when you told much. me not to smoke or to date bad girls. You told girls. me not to go to the desert. We're definitely going to the desert. That's also true. Yeah. Actually, I think she told you that she wanted you to not go to the desert or seek out your father, but knew you'd do both. 
Yep, and I am. So uh, good on her, I guess. There's a little reverse psychology she meant for you to do that. Well, she's <laughs> Screw a you, prophet Mom. or whatever. Yeah, prophet or whatever. So uh, as we begin, however, the Viper had informed all of you you had immediately begun preparations to set off. The crew left the cenotaph of the cynic, collected Wolf, who was outside smoking a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's so badass. <laughs> She's so bad. Wearing her leather jacket with her spiked uh, armlets. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, man. What She's so cool. I want to be with her. <laughs> <laughs> yep. With her amazing shoulder pads. Now you oh, see man. what crucible sees in her. <laughs> the party had then left out the north exit of the city making their way to one of the Viper's many contacts scattered about the city who had provided the party with a pair of wagons, uh, as well as drivers, to take the party north. Nice. You had all had the opportunity to sleep in the back of the wagons that day, as by the time that you're actually leaving the city and everything, it's past well past midnight. It's like two or three in the morning. The Viper greased a couple of palms to get you guys all out of the quarantine because the city's still actually going through the bureaucracy of lifting the quarantine. Mm. Uh. The caravans make their way north. Navigating along the road, following along the eastern pass, crossing, in essence, just fording across uh, on a pair of river boats to one side to the other to get uh, on the eastern face of the Sphinx River. As, of course, Wati sits at where the Aspen Crook Rivers combine to form this Sphinx River, making its way north. Most of you wake up well after dawn, except for, I think, Sagira, who has Ring of Sustenance. Ring of Sustenance, baby! Yeah. I don't need um, to sleep that much because I don't trust these people yet. Probably wise. Before the end of the day, as the sun begins to reach the furthest horizon, the party arrives in the city of On. Mm. On, for those of you not familiar, birthplace of Citra, amongst other famous things. Most important thing. Most importantly, <laughs> birthplace of Citra. Which only Sagira knows about. Yeah. There's a hey, little Sagira plaque outside. That. There's a little and plaque outside. <laughs> I carve it's it into true. a wall for her. <laughs> <laughs> a little vandalism. Citra was here in spirit. Nobody here to tell me not to. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone. Chaos. Most, chaos. most of this party would probably encourage you, actually. <laughs> so, definitely. definitely. Yeah, graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the faded aren't above minor crimes also. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we mostly do not? drug dealing, but sometimes we break windows. Mm-hmm. Petty theft, you know. Yep. All of you arrive, however, in the city of On just before sunset. The city itself is a large, expansive affair. Just to put this into uh, perspective, the city of Wati boasts a population of 7,300 people. The city of Tefu boasts a population of about 19,500. The city of On boasts a population of 38,000. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Boy. Okay. So it is literally twice the size of Tefu with Ooh. four times the size of Wati. Sigir's like, I've never been out of Wati. This is crazy. I'm going to keep that to myself, though. <laughs> <laughs> that you do that think, calm exterior. I think Zephyr would also probably be a little bit uncomfortable, uh, as would Wolf. Wolf has hardly left the necropolis. She barely made her way into the living city. So, yeah, this is Bonkers Town for her. Yes, on, also known as Bonkers Town. (laughs) Birthplace of Citra. (laughs) (laughs) Planchette looks serene, but nobody can tell just why. As you begin to approach, the city of On is a massive, sprawling affair located between numerous pyramids that are built into the surrounding region. 
what many of you understand is that on was originally just a working town uh, it was a town for workers who constructed buildings here and then lived here for the decades that it took to complete the pyramids that are constructed around it mm. and then eventually when the land ran out of good flat places to build pyramids they just kept the city here uh, it is widely known and respected as the, quote, City of Triangles. One, because of the pyramids that surround it on every side. Uh, and two, because it has a repeat triangle motif into the architectural design of the city. I thought you were going to say, and two, because there's a gang called the Triangles here. <laughs> we're having a gang fight. We all start snapping our fingers. <laughs> but in addition to that, the uh, there's also the similar shape of the distant Mount Nakin, which is in, when it's uh, surrounding peaks, which also form kind of a triangle-like design. It's a repeat motif. They're, uh, they're really big into their being on brand. As you arrive, the gates open up. There's a brief inspection as people make their way by, and the Viper once again just creases a couple palms, and the guards here obviously don't really care all that too much and allow all of Excellent. you access within the city. Nice. Within the first five to 10 minutes of you passing through the city, you see more people than probably the population of the city of Wati. And wow. considering that you've just emerged from battling against an undead uprising that was tearing your city limb from limb, uh, some cases literally as far as some people are concerned, mm. it seems almost inconceivable that this city doesn't even seem to realize that that was happening a day's ride south. That's nuts. And it's just gone about its everyday business completely unaware or uncaring or blasé pertaining towards the suffering to the south. Hmm. If anything, it does somewhat illustrate the necessity, however, of the the Church of Phrasma ordering the quarantine of Wati to keep the undead uprising from spreading to a much more populous region such as this. Yeah, that would have been a nightmare. They probably have a lot more dead here, given the population size. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because Wati had that whole, like, half-dead city thing. But, you know, there are a lot of pyramids around here that are probably full of dead things, too. <laughs> well, they got more living people to become dead. That's true, too. That's how the zombie outbreak works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Viper directs the, uh, the wagon drawn by two nameless NPCs. <laughs> they, have, they have names name and them. rich lives off to the side but this isn't a party that cares about them can one of them be date palm and one of them be worm yes it's date palm and that worm. was actually the perfect answer right Yay. Yep. drawn by Sigur date palm them. and worm uh carries on a nice conversation uh worm started spelling his name with a y uh, nice. Uh, yeah. see. Edgy. Because now he's going to be cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got his own leather jacket and cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know if leather would be the best thing to be wearing in a desert right now. Probably not. That's he why he's very, so cool, though. <laughs> he at the very least has a barbed wire chain tattoo. Okay. Yes. Mm. The party make their way to one of the local inns that seems to be, you're going to say on the lower end, as far as the city is concerned, a small place known as the Rat Hole. <laughs> okay. Here, the Viper procures rooms for the evening. I suppose all of you settle in into just kind of a block of rooms that he's rented off. It's kind of like the Tooth and Hookah, where it's the four rooms with the one central location, uh, except for Crappy. So it's, it's four rooms with one central location, but there's no fountain. There's just a hole in the ceiling. It isn't intentional, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Excellent. Ooh, sun Great. Roof. <laughs> <laughs> it's nighttime, so it's a moon roof now. <laughs> it's both at once how cool is that you all have the evening to go about shop a little behind the scenes here for the audience the party having leveled up and going and selling off some treasure and buying some new gear and all the rest of that good stuff 
So come back with all of your spiffy new magic items. Mm-hmm. Shopping montage, but with less fun because Segura goes by herself. <laughs> yeah. It's just a bunch well, of her stepping right. out from behind a curtain in like a new dress and Isra is just staring blankly. Licking herself. I'm going to take the butt licking as a bad sign. <laughs> that evening, however, all of you gather back together. Uh, the Viper has paid for better fare than the stuff that they serve at this place, which apparently he does not approve of to be All delivered. Right. A table has been set up in the central room. The moon hangs high enough overhead that it paints some silver light down here, although a few grimy old lanterns hang from the four pillars that support the ceiling in the central room. The table is low and surrounded by a number of different pillows, and a hookah sits in the center of the table, although you, would of course, have to pay for the... Uh, for anything that you're interested in smoking separately. Mm. It's mostly pesh here. No takers? Okay. Yeah. Nope, I I don't sample. You don't sample the goods. Gotta keep my my head on straight around these people. You all sit in a circle. The Viper. Next to the Viper, Segura. Next to Segura, Isra, eating a haunch of meat off (laughs) the table. Nice. That no one noticed that she took. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm pretty sure everyone noticed, but she's a giant cat, and no one's going to take that from her. Yeah, she jumped up on the table, the walked across it, grabbed it, and then hopped down off the table. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, who's going to be the one to try to reach it out of her jaws? <laughs> it's like a house cat, but 100 pounds. <laughs> next to that, Zephyr. Next to Zephyr, Crucible. Next to Crucible, probably uncomfortably, Wolf. <laughs> next to Wolf, Planchette. <laughs> <laughs> Crucible keeps Jordan asking for things in like awkward sort of ways. Mm, would you pass me the salt? Mm. <laughs> I can do a decent Crucible, I think. Mm. <laughs> oh, you got a channel R on Host Club. Yeah, it's very R on Host Club. Is it? Is it yet? Tomaki. Uh, Tomaki yes. is is sweeter than what Jordan's it, putting yeah, across. I, I'm a little. I, I've got the creepy vibe to He's it. He's evil Tomaki. Yeah, I was going to say it's oh, evil or okay. on Host Club. <laughs> yes. Or on Unhost Club. <laughs> Thing. My lord. As you finish your meal, the Viper steeples his fingers, stares down into his his much higher quality date wine that he had date palm deliver. <laughs> That's a lot of dates. A lot of dates. Some of them are bad dates. Uh, <laughs> he then looks up over the, are there six of you counting the cat? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah, I think so. Sure. How many people are here? It's a full house. Like, is this like a round table or a rectangular table? Like, what are we talking about here? It's a rectangular table. So, I suppose then we should have a discussion. What about? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, man. We are going to need to make our way into the desert to deal with this cult, this situation. Well, how far into the desert, though? It depends on where you're coming from. We're headed north. We'll run a boat tomorrow to take us as far up the river as we can and then cross over to Edo and then south from there. When last I made this journey, I left from Tefu and tracked across half of the parched dunes, which is pointless and it would be much easier to take a northern approach as I actually know where we're going. But I thought it would be important to share the details of what we may or may not be dealing with. Yeah. Some of this is fact. Some of this perhaps Little Mabe, you already know. Gara looks at him. Crucible, like, eyes over, like, what does she know? <laughs> Lots of stuff. Some of this, however, may be conjecture. So I'll answer it the best that I can. 
but I thought it was time that you had the full story. All my cards on the table, as it were, Segura. Sense motive. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. I actually no. kind of want to, too. Did you roll on that one? Yeah, feel no, free. I didn't roll on that one. Oh. Uh, I got a 17. I didn't roll great. <laughs> I rolled a 7. I got a 21. Uh, with the 17... Yeah, he seems like a pretty enough. Uh, you honestly yeah. can't tell through his poker face. I doubt very seriously you actually cool. trust him to do this, but... No, probably not. Uh, with a 21... Sorry, let me check. Uh, what does he get taking 10 on a bluff? No. Uh, with a 21, you get the feeling that he's going to tell you what you what he feels that you need to know. Yeah. No more, no less. I suppose, then, that this story would begin 20 years ago, when Robert Walls came to Wati. He was a stranger... From a strange land. But many of the locals quickly grew to love and appreciate him. He was charming and confident. And carried with him a respect for our land and its traditions that many foreigners usually do not. He spoke our language, adopted our customs in a way that told me that this was not his first time exploring a foreign land. I would later learn that he had already been in Osirian for a year before making his way to the smaller town of Wati. He was a wanderer of sorts, a professional. A pathfinder? At the time, I didn't know. But yes, it soon became widely known that Robert was putting together a caravan to seek out an ancient site in the desert. At the time, exploration and, of course, looting of burial grounds of the ancients was strictly forbidden. It would be about another 12 years or so before the Ruby Prince lightened those restrictions, and about another Eight years past that before they were opened entirely, as so beautifully illustrated by our recent lottery. Somehow, and even I'm not actually positive how, Robert managed to convince the high priest of Phrasma not to lock him in a cell and lose the key. Hmm. Convinced him that his interest was only in documenting the site and learning its history. Purely academic. Doubtful. Hmm. So I assumed. I did not know whether or not he had any interest in taking anything from the site at the time. But I was a much younger man at the time. I had not yet come into the title that I bear now. But I did know an opportunity when I saw one. I met with the stranger after hearing of his plan to head into the Parched Dunes in search of this ancient site. I introduced myself as Tarek. I'll admit... To be perfectly honest, I was impressed with the man. He was honestly everything that the local rumors had built him up to be. And more. Many spoke of his kindness and his intellect. But I could see that he was much more than a simple archaeologist. By the time our meeting was over, I had convinced him to let me join his caravan as a guide and protector. And he had convinced me that he was not so incompetent as to get us lost in the desert to die a horrible and slow death. Now... More importantly to you, perhaps, Segura, the first day we set off for this lost site is the day that I met Seposet Nan. Mm. And I must admit, I was equally impressed with your mother. She was a young, noble woman. No, and of course she attempted to present herself as a commoner and a simple student of the mortuary arts. But she couldn't help but carry herself with a certain bearing a posture of someone born to wanting for nothing mm. I'll admit I held it against her 
I've made no secret my disdain for the nobility, I think. He smiles, looking around the table. A flash a toothy grin. Good thing that doesn't describe any of us. Yep. Oh no, you're as common as I. I thought at the time that this supposed set was... Perhaps some sort of rich benefactor out looking for excitement in the desert. And I was soon proven wrong, though. And she was willing as anyone else to get their hands dirty when it came to it. She was a remarkable woman. I'm sorry for your loss, Sagira. Thanks. <laughs> now, our journey through the desert was long and harrowing. Worthy of recounting in song and epic poem, but I won't subject all of you to that. He stands up, begins to pace, seemingly collecting his thought. For most of you, this is kind of, this is a bit of a sign of the viper or the side of the viper that doesn't really come out much. This is a man that does not talk about himself. He steps back and forth a couple of times, still tendering his one leg. He doesn't strike me as the type who expends energy he doesn't need to as well. Generally speaking, no. He pauses, I suppose most importantly to our narrative. I learned three things during our months of travel and search in the parched dunes. Firstly, my initial impression of my employer, this Robert Walls, was correct. He was no mere archaeologist. When our caravan came under attack, he fought with skill and finesse of a trained swordsman. My suspicions, and your initial assumption, Mabe, turned out to be true. I may have snuck into his tent during the night and found his wayfinder. I didn't steal anything from him, of course. I simply wanted to sate my curiosity. Now, I had no issue with this Pathfinder Society. I've had almost no meeting with them before. And since then, I have found them to be interesting bedfellows. Now, my second lesson that I learned, Seposet was no simple guide. I was brought on for my expertise with traps and my knowledge of the desert. Skills that I developed while defending the gnomes of Yavapol. Seposet wasn't needed to guide the caravan to water or to follow the stars. She was there because she was gifted. Our caravan was never ambushed or taken unawares by the creatures of the desert. She could predict sandstorms a week before they reached us and somehow guide us to paths of safety. It was a phenomenal gift. A certain danger sense, if you will, that unfortunately, little Mabe, you don't seem to have inherited. Nope. Run face first into danger most of the time. <laughs> I appreciate the forthrightness of that, but it was invaluable. He pauses, seemingly almost as if thinking about what he would do with such a skill or even someone possessing of such a skill. Finally, he simply shakes his head. Thirdly, I learned that Robert and I were not the only skilled warriors on the caravan. We were accompanied by a friend of Robert's, a warrior priest of Caden Kaleen named Gerald. Sagira, I'm certain that you're at least passingly familiar with the name. Yep, that's Sudi's dad. Yes, Lucky Kantar. You took him in as a young boy, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm. He's dead now. Yep. He says that more as a sign to everyone else. Also joining our outing as we passed through Tefu was a young swordsman named Samir. He was exceptionally skilled with the blade, almost supernaturally strong, and seemed possessed of some form of magic as well. And apparently an invisible stalker. Mm. It's a common name. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was like, I could have sworn I've heard that name before. Okay, the invisible stalker, that makes sense. Yep. 
It was also the name that uh, Sagira noticed was uh, her actual biological father's name. Sagira perked up a little bit. A lot of Samirs. Oh, that's your biological father. Okay. <laughs> that's Samir. There's too many Samirs. There's too many Samirs. We'll call him Samir the Elder. Now, of course, I don't believe he was completely what he seemed. And he looks over towards Sagira, kind of meets her eyes. He was almost too perfect, if you will. Too symmetrical. She, she maintains eye contact. And there was something... He leans in. Something in his eyes. There was something wrong with his eyes. Something wrong with his eyes? Yes. It was almost as if there was a light coming in from behind them. Something otherworldly. But I deal with the here and now. Although anyone that wishes to may make me an the points. I will do that. I don't have that. I will roll garbage and get a 10. I didn't roll garbage, but I didn't roll well. I rolled a 7 for a 19. With a 19, a common description of the Johnny, which are a type of uh, genie more commonly known to the material plane, a common description of them is usually that they appear to be a regal figure looking like a tall, well-proportioned human, save that its eyes sparkle with a strange light. Hmm. Sounds like a Johnny to me. What's a Johnny? They're the, I suppose you could say, weakest of the genie kind. They tend to appear as humans, but they tend to have uh, something glowing in their eye- eyes. People who consider them the most human of the genie races, though, are, tend to be uh, corrected of this insult, uh, usually by the edge of a sword. If I was insulted like that, maybe I would too. Fair enough. Hmm. Regardless information I did not possess at the time. He seemed to be a capable and intelligent man. We carried on many long conversations about the nature of our... About the nature of conflict. Regardless, though, it proved invaluable to have someone as skilled as he on our trek. And let me simply say that Sehoset was rather well taken with him. Now, after months of searching, we eventually reached our destination. In the western shadow of the Pillars of the Sun, we found a temple to the old gods, surrounded by a small settlement. Robert, Sehoset, Samir, and I approached the buildings, and we were met by a number of the temple's guardians. These were all, as they call themselves, the Amuron, catfolk, as most know them. They referred to themselves as... The children of Sekhmet. Now, at first, they sought to turn us away. But Robert... Hmm. God, he was a charismatic man. Convinced them to let us speak with their leader. They brought us through the town, built up around the stairs leading up to the temple. The temple itself was a strange and magnificent affair. Our new destination, if you will. I did not know at the time... But the simple temple of Sekhmet was what some scholars refer to as the Black Fane. As many of you know, I'm not a particularly devout person. He smiles and nods sort of apologetic way in the direction of Zephyr, who I think is really the only other devout person here other than Segura. Yep. Nah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like nah. Yeah. However, even I could feel that there was something powerful there the moment we entered. Is that what Robert was really after? Possibly. I'll leave you to decide once we reach the end of our tale. I myself am not quite certain. And unfortunately, 
I wouldn't understand just what was there until it was too late. We spoke with the leader of the catfolk, a woman named Qatar, and Robert explained his desire to study the site and learn the history of their people. Qatar seemed suspicious of us. <laughs> he gestures down to himself. <laughs> um, as, of course, as well, she, she should have been. Yes. But surprisingly, agreed to let us stay in research. With strict supervision, of course. I can only assume that she probably thought we would attempt to determine the history of their people without their assistance otherwise. We agreed and set up camp outside of their small town. The children of Sekhmet were true to their word and allowed Robert and the rest of us supervised access to the temple. Now, as you know, I am no archeologist and I'd already done my part for the expedition getting us to the temple. So I spent most of my days outside of the temple observing. That was some of the excuse I gave to myself. In truth, the temple made me uneasy. There was something wrong in its geometry. Kind of like that rock. Yes, kind of like that rock. Then there were the other things. Shadowy figures that seemed to be just out of line of sight. The way the statues of the goddess seemed to move when you weren't looking. And the whispers. An always present whisper. So you were scared? Sagira grins. I was cautious. Sagira's mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, nope, nope, you were scared. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> However, I will be honest with you. Before the end, I was scared. Again, I spent most of my days outside of the temple. Those catfolk living outside of the temple were nothing but polite to us. Generous, honestly. In trade. And hospitable. I spent many a night beside the fire with them, swapping stories and date wine. And I also watched my fellows in the caravan. Sephoset and Samir had grown very close. They were spending more and more time together, something I had noticed on the journey to reach the temple. And I was not surprised the man was exotic and charming. And your mother was probably experiencing the first taste of true freedom that she'd ever had in her life. But there seemed to be some sort of trouble brewing between them. I found it curious. Subhoset seemed often distracted. During the day, I would catch her simply staring at the temple, Hmm. as if lost in thought. And at night, she would wander outside of the light of her campfires, stare at the stars. Star, actually, I think. She seemed to be tracking its movement across the sky. Now, I'm no astrologer or astronomer, so... Now, Samir, conversely, had become more active, more aggravated, as jovial as he could be when there was action or excitement. There was always an angry pride just beneath the surface that could be set off at the slightest provocation. And as the days and winks went on, it seemed to become easier and easier to do so. He spent a great deal of time in the temple, and at night I would catch him slipping away from the camp to sneak back to the temple's walls. Unsurprisingly, I followed him. I will remind you again, at the time I was young and stupid. (laughs) I followed him at a distance and found that he was meeting someone outside of the temple, who I couldn't say. I never saw them, but they would carry on long conversation in a language I didn't know. He sits back down folds his hands. I told you the definitive things that had happened up until this point. Now I will tell you what I experienced. 
and there may be some conjecture in here. I don't know exactly what happened after this, as I myself was not directly involved in the madness that followed. Very late one evening, I was awoken by the sounds of shouting and screaming. I quickly grabbed my weapons and armor, stepped out of my tent, and found the caravan in pandemonium. A sandstorm had somehow descended on the camp, despite the skies being clear when I went to bed an hour before. The people of the caravan were rushing about trying to secure the tents and camels. Strangely, I could hear chanting and song on the winds, carried to us, it seemed, from the nearby town and temple. I searched for Robert, but couldn't find him. Geralt told me he had been at the temple that evening, speaking with Qatar. He unfortunately had no idea where Sohoset or Samir were either. So I left him and ran towards the stairs up to the temple to find my colleagues. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear. The sandstorm was supernatural in origin. I knew that the moment I stepped outside. Something had created it. And I had no grand dreams of heroics as I ran into the city. Only a desire to find the strongest of my allies. Track down this threat before it could pick us off individually. I don't think you needed to clarify that you weren't a hero in the story. <laughs> <laughs> he smiles indulgently. I just didn't want to give you the wrong impression, Sagira. Don't worry about it. Now, what I found in the city was even stranger and more disconcerting. Every man, every woman, every child in the city was out in the center of town. What passed for a market square in a settlement that small. Half of them were chanting and singing, praying, it seemed, facing towards the temple. The other half had built a bonfire that was already reaching towards the heavens, struggling to burn through the windstorm. They were dragging out every piece of wood they could find, furniture, wagons, even removing their doors to add to the pyre. They crowded dangerously close to the blaze as they chanted and sang. I'd never seen anything like it, never experienced anything like that. And I'll admit, I stood stunned for a long moment. There was a part of me that wanted to join them, not out of any desire for the religious service, but there was a part of me that thought that they obviously knew something I didn't. After a moment, I decided to stay my original plan if I was to be attacked, I would rather have Robert and Samir at my side than these untrained catfolk. I reached the top of the stairs with some difficulty in the sandstorm. I rushed in through the open doors to find all the fires in the temple had gone out. I had fortunately brought my own light, and as I lifted it, I found the first of the bodies, the children of Sekhmet, slaughtered around me. The catfolk had been cut, burned, beaten, Beyond recognition in some of their cases, I pressed past this massacre deeper into the temple. I found strange sights like statues, but that bled, crushed, and broken on the ground. Perhaps the statues I had seen moving, hard to tell. The children were dead, and as I pressed past them deeper into the temple, I got closer to the inner sanctum, the area that we were never permitted to go. That's when I heard the voices. Not the whispering that I had heard before, up until that point. As I drew closer, I recognized two voices, those of Robert and Samir, arguing angrily over something. I reached the door to the sanctuary, stepping over the body of Qatar on my way, 
and saw the two of them in a large room, on either side of a pedestal. Robert was holding something, a strange box, it seemed, and Samir was threatening him. There was something in the box that shined brightly, like a multifaceted gem, painting the room in a rainbow of color, some sort of trapezohedron it looked to be. As I watched, Samir drew his sword and lunged for Robert, but the other man was just as quick. I drew my kukri as the two men fought, circling the pedestal. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know which man was in the right. But I did know one thing for certain. Robert was paying me. I stabbed Samir in the back as he passed the door. Robert seemed almost as surprised as Samir at my sudden arrival. Enough so that his grip on the box slackened. Samir's scimitar knocked the box from Robert's hand, and as it flew through the air, the gemstone fell out. Samir caught it in his offhand. Gods, he was fast. And then... The world went dark. The light went out all at once, and in the darkness I could feel movement. Like wind and fabric blowing nearby. Like something large and leathery was in the room with us. And for a moment I thought... He furrows his brow, looking down into his cup. I thought I saw something. Something... Something like a large, three-lobed burning eye. And then I heard the breaking of stone, and felt rocks raining down around me. I dove to the side as the roof above us was destroyed by whatever was in the room now, dove fast enough to avoid the worst of the collapse. He reaches down a hand, but not quite all of it. My leg was caught under the debris. I felt more than heard the snap of bone. I must have blacked out for a time. I don't know how long. But it was still dark when I came to. Were you ever able to identify the other voice? Did you hear that? The one Samir was talking with? The mysterious figure that he was meeting, no. I can tell you at the very least, I don't think it was any of the catfolk there. There's a certain sibilance to the way that they speak. Sagira, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Sagira's like, what? (laughs) I was pinned to the ground, half buried. The roof of the chamber was gone, and I could hear the storm through the hole. I could hear the chanting from the town and the screaming I would later learn from the caravan. I began to dig myself free, but I stopped when the screaming stopped. The chanting, however, continued. I lay still for a time as I heard someone else in the room. I couldn't tell who. I couldn't tell if it was someone entering the room or someone that was in the room that survived the collapse like I did. My instincts told me to stay still, and I've always trusted my instincts. Whoever it was stood in the center of the room. On top of the collapse, I could just see them silhouetted against the fractionally lighter gray of the sky. And then the sky disappeared, blocked out by what seemed like black wings. And again for a moment, I saw that eye. Then the shadow was gone, and its place was something like a whirling mist, smoke, I could hear the person in the room gasping like a drowning man, coming up for air. Eventually that too stopped. Whoever it was left, walked out of the room. I laid still until dawn, when I dug myself out. I made a rough splint, and then I searched the temple but found no other survivors. There were bodies everywhere of the temple's defenders, but no bodies 
in the town. Whatever the catfolk there had been doing, it seemed to have protected them. It appeared that they had all fled at first light. They made their way west, deeper into the desert. From what I could see, there were a few survivors of the caravan as well. Your mother, I learned later. Your biological father, I think, as well, if I am not mistaken. So Samir lived from you backstabbing? I don't seem to have hit the, uh, the most fatal of points. I was not as skilled then as I am now. I would later learn also that Gerald had made his way free. I suppose we were the four survivors. Although I don't know how many of them knew how many of us had made it out alive. They had all gone south. No offense, Segura, but stupidly. <laughs> I knew that we were much closer to Edo than we were to Tefu. So I did the only practical thing. I re-entered the temple. I took everything I could find of value that I could carry. I went back into the inner sanctum. I couldn't find the stone, that stone that you have now. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find the box that had contained it. I did find a great deal of money, however. Enough to pay for healing when I finally made my way back to Edo. Enough to get me back to Wati. And enough to put me on the path to where I am now. All in all, I suppose it was a rather successful expedition for me. Although, unfortunately, it seems like some people have not forgotten my involvement. That is where my story ended. I don't know what became of all the others. Gerald died, drank himself to death. I think he saw something that day. I figured I you would have tried to figure out what happened to everybody. Sate your curiosity. <laughs> Whatever was there was extraordinarily dangerous. I have no interest in putting myself at risk. I think you already did. <laughs> I think you are at this current moment, because are we not going back to that same place? Now I don't have a choice. It appears that they hadn't forgotten me. And interestingly enough, it appears that they assumed I had the stone. Why else would they come for me? Who's they? The cultists. The little I've been able to gather is the Black Fane was constructed millennia ago by a pharaoh following the age of the four pharaohs of ascension. Rumors persist that the four pharaohs of ascension were backed by otherworldly powers. Amongst those, the famed black pharaoh, Narlathotep. And so if the temple was dedicated to Narlathotep, were the children of Sekhmet actually cultists? Or were they keeping this stone safe from Narlathotep's real followers. Now we get into conjecture, and I can tell you what I think, although it may not be the case. It seems to me the temple was constructed to hold this stone. It's quite possible originally it was a temple dedicated to the worship of the Black Pharaoh. And then afterwards, when that Pharaoh passed and others came into power, that the Temple of Sekhmet arose to attempt to safeguard it and keep it. And the stone itself appears to be some sort of repository. We believe now Seposet's soul, I believe, is inside of it, correct? That's what I think. It may have been able to contain other spiritual beings. So, Robert and Samir, whoever, released something out of the stone that possibly called, caused a sandstorm, that murdered a bunch of people, who knows... And it's still roaming the desert. Hmm. Well, Pleasant. one detail on that, though, the sandstorm started before the 
beating of wings and tearing down of the temple. Yes, it did. So something started the sandstorm before that. Maybe the figure Samir was talking to, maybe a cultist of Narlathotep. So who is this Narlathotep? I'm completely out of my league with this. Anyone that wishes to may make me a knowledge uh, religion or knowledge of the planes. I'll allow either. I don't have either of those. Yeah, that's, I don't either. Both? That's why I'm asking. Uh, Can we make both? Why not both? God, my dice. My religion is a 16. My planes is a 14. For planchette, I rolled a 17 for a 29 on planes. Very well. What planchette basically knows is Narlathotep is commonly referred to by a number of different titles, including the Crawling Chaos, the Faceless Sphinx, the Haunter of the Dark, the Black Pharaoh. Uh, From what you understand, he is a being beyond time and space that lives in a nightmare realm known as Ling. Hmm. Uh, more specifically, in a place called Kadath. From there, he extends his power over the rest of the world and is one of the outer gods of the Dark Tapestry, who takes on a thousand forms, each having its own cult, unholy symbol, and favored weapon. Lovely. Uh, unlike the other outer gods, Narlathotep seems to enjoy manipulating mortals and driving them to madness, and it is believed that he is preparing for the apocalyptic return of the Great Old Ones on countless planets. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, he's a bad guy. Sounds like a charming individual deity person. Was he ever a person or was he just always a deity? Well, I think he's a bit old for us to be figuring that out. Weird. Either way, he apparently is not someone we probably want to futz with. I mean, he's very powerful. His followers are probably insane, considering that is in his repertoire to drive people to insanity. So... I don't think we're going to logic our way through anything. That's fine. That's what swords are for. Well, then what purpose would they have in wanting to draw us back to this Black Fane? They're not drawing us back. They wanted the rock. They think uh, the Viper has it. They're right, kind of, because I have it. Why do they want the rock? And how did you come by it? My cousin killed my mom and put her soul in the rock. That's all I know. Wow, that's a lot of drama. So he had the stone. Yeah, I don't know where he got it, but he was out in the parched dunes, so he may have just stumbled across it. Unless he got it from your mother? Mm, nah, that doesn't make sense. Regardless, that's still not making sense, though. If they want the stone, they could just stay here, drop you a note that says, give us the stone or your son gets it. Why go through all the trouble of having us travel all the way out to the middle of the desert? Well, firstly, Zephyr asks an important question of why do they want the stone? I have a theory. It seemed as though the stone contained this haunter of the dark. And that upon capturing it, touching it even, Samir inadvertently released it. Ergo, they may simply wish the stone because it is the only thing that can contain it. Perhaps to trap and use it again, or perhaps to ensure the stone's destruction. You think they would want the haunter to remain free? Yes. So why not destroy the stone? Because it's the only thing that could contain him. Oh, I see what you're saying. Are we going to go throw a rock at a haunter? Is that a thing we're about to do? And try to capture it within? So we can control it and use it? So we can be the very best that no one ever was? Yes. To catch him is our true test. To train him is my reference. Uh, no. <laughs> Neurolithotope, I choose you. <laughs> uh, 
I think you win. <laughs> I win. Oh no, I've destroyed the earth. Sorry, guys. I was about to say that's not really winning in my book, but um, yeah, I guess that's a valid reason to want the stone. But why now? And when do these followers find out about the stone? I mean, it just seems to be a hot time for cultists, so maybe it's just. I mean, maybe prepping also, for the end times or whatever. Is that stone like an artifact or something? Might explain why they want us to go all the way out to middle of nowhere. Do I look like I know magic? I don't know. <laughs> he, he glances over at uh, at Planchette. Do you know? What are you looking at me for? I know about Do the dead. Do that thing where it, your eyes glow and you can tell if something's magical or not. I take the rock <laughs> out of my pocket and hold it in my hand. I detect magic? <laughs> uh, I, will allow, I, I will allow anyone who has spellcraft to roll spellcraft. Hey, I can roll. Wait, can I roll spellcraft even though I can't detect magic? If you have spellcraft, I do. I'll go ahead and give it a shot. Why not? Why not? Ah, come on, Wolf. Do you nice spellcraft over there? No, Wolf does not spellcraft. <laughs> uh, Me either. Wolf you and know. I are all just like you guys are nuts. It's a magic rock. What do you want to know? Yeah, Planchette <laughs> doesn't either. She's all about the dead. Yeah, I should probably put a rank in that. <laughs> I have an eighteen total, so I roll a five and get a twenty. Okay. So you can roll on it, but you're asking Planchette about it? I actually didn't <laughs> think I could roll on it if I couldn't detect magic, but Rick said I could. Because you're not detecting magic. You are aware that detect magic will not determine the abilities or possibly even if an artifact is magical. You need a more oh, powerful yeah, not spell. Necessarily, you would need to either uh, analyze legend Demeller legend or, or yeah. Legend Lore. So it could be an artifact. Great. But many artifacts have the ability to suppress their magical wars. So was Samir actually trying to release this haunter? Was he secretly working for the cult of Nerlathotep? Again, possible. There's well, here's so the question. Did you ever topics. find Robert's body? No, actually. I did not find the body of Robert or Samir. Wait, I thought you said Samir left. No, someone left. No, I mean, I thought you said that, that quote, my mother and biological father both left, or were both uh, alive as well, I would come to discover. Yes. <laughs> as I was able to determine later on, you were born in the city of Wati. Yeah? More than nine months later. Ah, math. So, he <laughs> would have had to have still been alive, unless the gestation period for whatever you are is much longer than nine months. It's usually actually could be. ten. I also could have just been very comfortable and didn't want to come out. <laughs> <laughs> that is possible. Among the many things that I am not, an OBGYN is in there. <laughs> I think uh, in this day and age, it would be midwife. Oh, midwife, yes. Midwife. Sorry. Midwifery. Yeah. <laughs> Get the I have midwife. not put enough ranks in profession midwifery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is simply my assumption. It's quite possible that Robert survived as well. Well, it's also possible that that temple corrupted all the people that were in it and uh, who didn't have special stones. And so they special stones. were all crazy. Oh yeah. That's a cat folk thing. What? I don't know. I don't know a lot about it. I'm not a cat folk. I just know that like the children of the Sekhmet had special stone does stuff. I don't know exactly what. Wait, you're not a cat folk. <laughs> yeah. Hard to believe. Just a cat fan. Cat fan for sure. <laughs> cat fan for life. Is <laughs> <laughs> her glances up. Having been rapidly following this entire conversation up until this point. <laughs> <laughs> so what exactly is the plan moving forward then? Go to the Black Fane, kill some cultists, find a kid. 
How old is this kid? How old is your son? I think he's 17. Oh, okay. Find this person who's the same age as kind of me, close to my age. <laughs> <laughs> Still call him kid, though. I'll call him what I want to call him. He was, he he got himself captured. He's no brave warrior. Little does man. he know, I've been calling him Snakelet for like six hundred episodes. So. <laughs> Fair. I'm gonna hope that it doesn't take until after episode six hundred to find this. <laughs> <laughs> side story. Your son is in another castle. No. no. Forever. In the distant year twenty thirty something. <laughs> At the moment, it seems that our only real course of action, well, I suppose to address the other questions there, we know that the cult is interested in retrieving the stone. It seems that they were aware enough of my son's actions to take advantage of his separation from the rest of his group to then send him to this vein, knowing that I would pursue him. I can only assume that they believed that I either had the stone because I was the last person and also looted the tomb before I left, so may have had it with me then. Or that I knew who did and would be able to retrieve the stone and bring it to them. The stone is also, if we encounter this creature from before, the only thing that could contain it or stop it. Ergo, we find ourselves in the unenviable position of needing to bring the very object that they want to possibly use against them. Which we also don't know how it works, or do we? I haven't the faintest. It's a rock. Unfortunately, up until this moment, we did not have it in our possession until Segura literally showed it to me. I was unaware that it was still circling around. So Hmm. one of three people had it. Either Robert, who somehow ended up in the hands of your cousin, or your mother had it and was stolen by your cousin, or Samir had it and was also taken by your cousin. Either way, it ended up in your cousin's possession. Or maybe the priest had it at some point. Mm. What priest? Gerald. Ah. But he wasn't in the temple. True, I didn't see him there, although I did black out for a while. He was close enough that he saw something that you said seemed to have driven him to drink himself to death. It's true, but if he was in the caravan at the time, well, whatever was released killed everyone in the caravan, seemingly except for him. No, in the caravan as well. Everyone else in the temple was dead before the thing was even released. I don't know who Mm. killed them. I would assume either Robert or Samir. Or or a combination combination. of the two. True. It's quite possible that Robert went there with the intention of finding and retrieving this object. From what I understand, that's something that the Pathfinders are known for. Mm, Yep, seems like it. But at the same time, he was never seen again. It just seems odd that this stone has just happened to suddenly appear after, what, nearly 20 years? True. 20 years isn't actually all that long for a terrible artifact to reappear in Osirian. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) See the mainline podcast. Sigur is like, I thought I had just dealt with some freaking cultists and a stupid artifact, and here we are again. But wait, there's more. <laughs> I know, and you can get two cults for the price at of least, one. At least I don't have to wear this one. Um, yeah. True. <laughs> ah, that's fair. Let's shove it in your forehead. Yeah, you just, <laughs> at nice least this one. Show. Who's the most proficient with slings? Here's this rock. Uh, <laughs> throw this artifact at someone. <laughs> it, is, it is indestructible. Does it count as adamantine? <laughs> My lord. Uh, no, but it is indestructible, so it's a reusable... Uh, yeah, sling, oh, my sling bullet. 
And while this story is about Narlathotep and the stone is all very interesting, the most important thing is to get Asp back. Of course. So. Let's just give them the stupid stone. I don't think that would be wise. We don't know what it does. They could just use it to kill all of us, including the Asp. Well, obviously you can put people's souls inside, and I don't want to be stuck in a stone my whole life. However, if they are going to be this on the side of using it to contain this darkness or whatever, I say go for it. But they also True, but might be wanting not. the stone to destroy it so that he can never be contained again. The mm-hmm. problem is we just don't know what they want it. I mean, we'll just ask and then they'll tell us or their corpse as well. I mean, it definitely feels like we're a little outmatched in knowledge and possibly power if this thing is directing the cult that has the asp. Well, let me tell you something I've learned recently in my very short life. Generally, the leader of the cult might be problematic to deal with, but the underlings, not a big deal. Sometimes they explode, but otherwise, generally you can tackle them. (laughs) You've got me intrigued about the whole exploding people thing. The last cult I fought had (laughs) tattoos that, like, when they died or... I guess they could just decide to do it. I never quite understood that. They could just make themselves explode into a bunch of fiery snakes, which would injure you if you were close enough and not fast enough to get out of the way. But it was generally just kind of spiteful. I repeat, what? (laughs) Oh, it was like on their death. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping that was a spell effect. That sounded really cool. You you want to blow yourself up. I mean, it would be fun to watch. In a temporary fashion, that would be kind of cool. You like blow yourself up and then you reconstitute. Sounds painful. Pretty sure that. that's not how it's working. I think they're oh, just well. dead. Also, how many? Oh, but also, if you did that, I could talk to your fought? spirit. Two. That's two more than I felt. I fought. All right. So it sounds anyway. like we're going out to the Black Fane. We're probably going to fight some cultists. Maybe a giant winged thing of horrible doom and darkness. Um, I should probably invest in a crossbow. <laughs> I have a bow. Before we leave, everyone, make sure you have your ranged weapons prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared. I went, I went straight for Viper Scouts, but that works too. <laughs> Why not both? both. Uh, <laughs> our love affair with Jeremy Irons continues. Yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, with no further questions, a whole bunch to think about. Uh, all of you settle in for the evening on your flea-ridden mats. Oh, God, no. Well, I mean, you're staying in one of the cheapest inns in town. I will get out I my bedroll and sleep bed on the dang floor and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, I also have a bedroll. I'm sleeping on the floor. As you sleep, you can see this long line of little black specks crawling towards the bedroll. Uh, no. I have soap <laughs> and salt. I put salt around my bed. And I, soap it. I, mean, salt. I just grab one of my vials of acid and just start, like, <laughs> just lighting them up. <laughs> oh, my God. So before we leave, we covered the entire place in salt and soap and then burned all the bedrolls. <laughs> You're welcome. We, it's we, actually we, made hey, the place better. I was going to say, we're the best guests because we left it better than when we found it. Yep. The next it's morning, all of you uh, you leave, walk out, the whole building's on fire. You just keep walking. <laughs> yeah. Dramatically slow motion, like the whole thing. Uh, yes, the purity of fire. Did you make sure to close the door, Crucible? Yes. And then he just throws an alchemist fire over his shoulder and walks out. <laughs> Who's Butterfingers? Butterfingers? No, those aren't Butterfingers. <laughs> the following morning, you all make your way out, make your way downstairs, head out, make your way towards or to the, uh, the docks district. Again, for those of you from Wati, Wati has a docks district. 
it is maybe one tenth the size of this one and doesn't have the sheer number of massive ships traveling through it and so on. It doesn't take very long for the Viper to secure passage, making your way north, uh, of which he, of course, you know, pays for covers. And all of you spend the next three days traveling north by ship. I make some potions. Yay for me. Yeah, you can, you can brew up some potions. All of you can hang out. Sagira and Isra can run around on the deck of the ship and play games together. And, you know, Zephyr can look on, <laughs> sadly, wanting to play with the kid. Sagira's reading her mom's journal. Mm. That's what Sagira's doing. Okay, so Zephyr and Isra run around on the deck playing together. There you go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That sounds great. Isra's like, yes, another one who loves me. <laughs> and my mommy, my, my deity mommy. And yep. my deity mommy. She gets magic wolf powers. Wolf stays inside. The sun sucks. Yep. Every once in a while, Wolf just cracks open the door. And then goes <laughs> She comes out at night and wanders around. In the adjoining room, there's just the alchemy lab, and there's, like, the one window that's vented with, like, the smoke and weird, like, sounds coming from it. Planchette's in her own little room where all the crew avoids and everything, because there's, like, weird knocking on the walls and the doors. Probably. <laughs> Anytime somebody dies on the crew, she talks to them for a long time. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> How many people are dying on this, like, you know, three-day tour? I don't know. How many crocodiles are, and hippos are there? You're like on the freaking Dracula boat where a new person dies every day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was the every ship day, Dracula called? Every day the captain looks, the captain oh, looks so radiant. Oh, jeez, I should know this. Someone on the subreddit will tell us. Yes. All right. Yeah. So after three days in a boat, you arrive in pretty much the polar opposite of On, uh, which is the town of Kalit. It boasts a population of about 200 people. Cool. Why are we even stopping here? Because this is where we get off the boat. I thought oh. we got off at Edo. Edo is not a no. uh, city on the river. We get off here and we go to Edo. And then we oh, go. yeah. Okay. Uh, so at this point, you disembark. The Viper purchases camels for the party. Uh, hey, okay, then... I have a point and ride. Yay. Does everybody have a point and ride? You're all good? Nope. No, I, I handle animal, though. Nope. So as long as combat doesn't break out, most of you will be okay. Well, if breaks out, I'm jumping off. I was going to say, I'm bailing <laughs> off this camel if combat breaks out. So. If combat breaks off one way or the other, you're going to be off of that camel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Did he at least spring for the combat trained? Yeah. Uh, no. They Dang don't have it. those available here. <laughs> I'm going to work on training mine. Have fun with that. Yeah, I got the skill. From there, all of you spend the next four days traveling steadily west, making your way towards the distant city of Edo. The trek is long. Thankfully uneventful uh, as you make your way navigating here this far to the north, this far into the heartland, in essence, of Osirian. The number of minor dangers here is not so large. You don't have to worry as much about things like bandits jumping out and attempting to take your money or you're away from the river. So you don't have to worry about giant crocodiles anymore, but you still do still have to worry about hyenas and the occasional gnolls and stuff like that. But for the most part, they don't seem to be, you imagine if gnolls are sitting up there on the hill and they look down, they see a whole bunch of people without a wagon. They're probably going to probably just going to say, eh, it's not worth the time. Mm. Yep. yep. <laughs> Bandits try to take our money. They're in for a bad day. That's right. <laughs> Are you trying to criminal me? How dare? I'll criminal you back. <laughs> I criminal you first. Guys, really? <laughs> really? This is my gang yep. membership card. Can't you see clearly? I am a member of a gang. We're not yeah, in Catapesh. We're not part of the Thieves Guild. 
<laughs> yeah, I suppose more accurately, you don't see any wealthy caravans, and therefore you don't become a random encounter for someone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, the tables have turned. <laughs> as, some, as some party of like third level PCs or something like that, it's like, what the heck? Six challenge rating, eight people. <laughs> doesn't this seem balanced ridiculous. at all. And whatever the heck the Viper is. Whatever the heck the Viper is. 22. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what? He's not even here. He doesn't need us at that point. Just 1v1. That's, the trek is mostly uneventful. After about the second day of making your way further and further west, deeper into the heart of Osirian, you catch your first glimpse of the Pillars of the Sun. A large mountain range. For those of you familiar, I don't know if anyone has any ranks in geography. I do. I do. Okay. I don't. People who have uh, never left the city of Wati know some things about geography. <laughs> yeah, I've looked things up. <laughs> I read a book. That's why I didn't take geography. For both Sagira and Wolf, you're aware that the Pillars of the Sun kind of mark the center of Osirian. Uh, they're just a, a small number of mountains that should not be. There's no other mountain ranges. There's no other ridges or anything like that. It's literally, there's a giant desert, and for some reason there's a mountain here. Hmm. Interesting. It's the lonely mountains standing alone out here in the desert. The mountain range stands as this blasted, you know, red and orange rock face uh, off towards your south as you're making your way along the, the northern side of the Pillars of the Sun. It just seems to be a small number of mountains, uh, the highest of which I think is actually pretty hefty. Nope, it doesn't tell me. They're just tall. They're very tall mountains. As tall as we want them to be. They're merely miles tall. Uh, no. Oh my. <laughs> they block out the sun. That's why they they're called the sun, sun. Yeah. pillars. Once every rotation, they stab the sun. Uh, no. <laughs> As you make your way further and further, I think this would be more for Planchette and Crucible than probably any of the others. For days now, the Viper's condition has been becoming worse. For a while, he has had this weakness. He has had this shake. But as you've made your way further and further into the desert, his condition seems to deteriorate. Not to the point that it's become blatantly obvious to anyone else in the party. I would say that anyone who can take 10 on a sense motive and manage about a 20 could probably tell that there's something off. I can take a 10 and get a 20. Yeah, me too. So you can probably tell that he seems to be a little off. But for the most part, he grins and bears and... Any questions or concerns from Crucible or Planchette, he simply waves away as unimportant to his current task or goal. If anything, it seems to just reinvigorate his need to find his son. You eventually arrive in the Osirian city of Edo. Itself, it's only a little bit larger than the... uh, Actually, I think it's right about the same size as the city of Tefu. Mm. So, small city, but rather centrally located. Uh, the Viper asks a couple of questions around here, but honestly is not interested in staying very long. Yeah, he trades your camels for fresh camels from a uh, an old friend of his, Akma the Trustworthy. <laughs> Akma the Honest. Akma the Beloved. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you do God. get a chance to meet Akma, but he seems to be rather disconcerted by the Viper showing up at his door and demanding camels. <laughs> Fair. He gives in quickly, though. I can't imagine why. Yeah. It was the Kukri in his... In his uh, so I'm apparently missing out on something. <laughs> I'll have to ask you all about it later. Uh, Agma only very recently showed up in uh, the Mummy's the Mask main storyline, where he appears oh. to be on the run. He's a bit shady. He's a little shady. Though he tells you he's the honest, the yeah, most is, honest always. The honest. Which is how we know he's shady. He had to say <laughs> it. Just like every camel dealer is the most honest. <laughs> 
as well as every car dealer, every horse dealer. All vehicular transport dealers, really? I don't know about all. (laughs) Everyone. Uh, (laughs) From there, you turn and make your way south. As you exit the city, as you make your way, the viper sitting on the back of his camel leads all of you out. At dawn the following day, after you spend a night in another crappy hotel, because that's how the viper rolls. (laughs) You don't spend money. It draws attention. As the sun rises, he nods towards the southern horizon. We should find our destination there. Of course, we should be prepared for whatever lays ahead. I've given you all the information that I can, so let us simply hope that that will be enough. Well, here's hoping we all come out alive. But if not, I'll make sure I chat with you anyway. Unless you die, and then you can't chat with us, right? Or can you? Are you going to come back as a ghost? Is that like a thing? Ooh, it would be fun. I'm not sure. Hmm. I knew a ghost once. She was nice. But I would assume so. I mean, I know a lot of ghosts. I only know one, but she was cool. (laughs) Mostly. Aristide. Yeah. I only know ghost stories myself. Not very Mm. interesting. And the hook was still on the door handle. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He was in the car right behind her. Bum, bum, bum. What's a car? (laughs) The cart. Yes, the cart. <laughs> Isn't the cart right behind her? <laughs> the cart behind her was flashing the headlights, but it was a warning. Yep. A warning. Yep. Oh, man. You turn, make your way south, and we'll pick it up here next time. Woohoo! I want right. Sagira to read these journals. There's so many things she needs to learn from them. Sagira's like, That's oh, a lot of God, work. reading, translating. Why? I stopped going to school at 12. <laughs> <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mommy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mommy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.